Hello, friend. Welcome to the Whole Word Podcast. This is Pastor Pitts Evans. On this podcast, we read and discuss one chapter of God's Word per episode. Let's go now to the Bible and see what the Lord has for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all of your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. In 1999, I took my first mission trip to India. In India at that time, and even today, virtually every town, every city, every village has a a local deity. And there's a statue or an idol of that deity as you enter into the little area. Again, region, state, whatever it happens to be. Some of the idols um, that I saw were over 100 feet tall. Now, in our culture, if you see a statue of, like, for example, a monkey, or if you see a statue of, of one of these Indian deities, you would consider it art. There, the local people actually worship these images as idols. Not only does every town, every city, every village, every state have an idol, there are many homes. In fact, most homes and most businesses have idols. In the businesses, the idols are prominent, and it's whatever deity the local shopkeeper worships. And so this chapter that we just read has to do with idols and things that have been offered to idols and sacrificed to idols and specifically food that has been presented to idols. Literally, this is a situation that exists in India today and in other places where idolatry is still practiced. We here in our Western culture are far removed from that type of imagery. And when we read these things in the Bible, it seems almost like an antiquated issue. But I assure you, there are over a billion Hindus that consider idolatry to be the center of their religion. A friend of mine who is an Indian brother tells me there are over six million 
different idols in India, so-called gods and goddesses, as Paul writes, so-called gods and goddesses. And so this issue of idolatry is not one that has gone away and faded into the pages of history, except in our Western culture. You can rest assured that um, in our country, there are people that still practice idolatry, although they're in the minority. But in India, it's a big deal. And so if you go to a shop in India that is selling groceries or food um, of any kind, their local deity, uh, the shopkeeper's local deity, is there in the shop. And there is probably food that is presented before the idol sitting there on display. Daily, there's a presentation of incense and food to many of these deities. And so it's very possible that you might go into a shop and have no option but to buy food that has been offered to an idol, been presented to an idol. So this, um, this chapter deals with that. It starts in verse 1 by saying, Now about food sacrificed to idols, or offered to idols. So the context is this is about uh, believers eating food that has somehow been connected to idolatry. And so Paul gives some instructions concerning this. Paul says, We know that we possess all knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. And the Passion Translation says, if anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he has a lot to learn. Now, I'm going to come back to the idolatry in a second, but I want to tell you a story. Two of the most godly men in my, I've ever known in my life were Wade E. Taylor, Dr. Wade E. Taylor, and Dr. Robert Reichert. Uh, Dr. Taylor founded Pinecrest Bible Training Institute. Dr. Reichert founded uh, Evangel Theological Seminary. Both of these men knew a great deal about the Lord. They knew a great deal about the Bible. They knew a great deal about theology. They had lived many years, both lived to be in their upper 80s. But neither one of them thought of themselves as a know-it-all. Both of them were just as hungry for the things of God as a little child. And I found that very attractive in knowing these men, these great men of God, that they never lost that childlike wonder over the things of God. And in spite of the fact that they knew much, much more than I did and much more than most believers did, they never considered themselves to be superior. They never conducted themselves in a way that made others feel intimidated or inferior in terms of their love for God or their knowledge of God. And so I think this idea of childlikeness before God is very attractive. That's not the same as childishness. So they were not childish in any respect, but they had a childlike realization that the knowledge they had of God was only a fraction of what could be known. We should all have that same positional understanding. Whatever knowledge of God we possess is contained in a very small circle, but God exists infinitely in every direction beyond the circle of our knowledge, no matter how much we know. What can be known of God is infinitely more than all of humanity has experienced to date. And so, friends, whatever you think you know of God, you only know in part, you only see in part, you only have a a partial perspective on the reality of God, as I do. So continuing with Paul's words in verse 4, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, 
the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, Paul is not saying there's not some uh, supernatural entity that others call gods. Notice he says, in heaven or on earth. And so this is talking about some kind of supernatural created being that others may worship, but they are subservient to the one true God, according to the scriptures, who created all beings, human and supernatural beings both. And so there are supernatural beings behind some of these idols in India and other places. They're um, they're not manifested there, but the idols themselves represent, in many cases, an existing demon or fallen angel or some such uh, creature that was created by God and rebelled against God. And so the uh, the so-called gods, as Paul says, may indeed be real supernatural beings, but they're subservient to the one true God, who is our Father in heaven, from whom all things came and in whom we live. Paul goes on to say, there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And so for us and for all of mankind, the ultimate Lord is Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came indicates he is the creator. He's the vehicle of creation. As you may remember from John's gospel in the first chapter, John puts him right in the in the center of the creation narrative in Genesis as the vehicle of creation, if you will. Verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idol that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. And so Paul is talking about the liberty we have as believers. We don't have to avoid any food if, if that's all that's available is what's been offered to an idol. Your conscience should not convict you for eating that food because we worship another God and he's able to sanctify all things through prayer. But Paul goes on to say we must not allow our liberty to cause others to stumble. Verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And so Paul is telling us that we can we can actually sin against other believers who have weak consciences by um, acting in our liberty to eat food that has indeed been offered previously to an idol, because we're not eating it and paying homage to the idol. We're eating it in gratitude to the one true God who overrides all of these created lesser beings. And so Paul says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat that, that food again. So I'll not cause them to fall. And we should be like-minded. We should be constantly reminded that others are watching us. And what's applicable to food offered to idols is also applicable to other areas of our life. For example, Scripture doesn't prohibit believers from drinking. However, if you drink alcohol in front of someone who is uh, personally about to stumble over alcohol, like an alcoholic, then you're causing your brother or sister to stumble. Therefore, you shouldn't drink it. You shouldn't create a, a situation where you cause a brother or sister to fall into sin. Lord, may we live in the liberty that Christ died to give us, but with an awareness 
that we love those around us. Lord, love builds up, as Paul said. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Lord, may we be filled with the knowledge of God that all things are clean and sanctified with prayer and thanksgiving. But Lord, not all things are good or advisable. And it's never advisable to cause a brother or sister to stumble or fall into sin. God, give us the grace to be concerned of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Whole Word. It was brought to you by Whole Word Fellowship and the Northern Virginia House of Prayer. If you were encouraged, please share our podcast with your friends. We'd also appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and take a few moments to write a review. If you'd like more information on our church and our ministry, you can go to wholeword.net or wholewordpodcast.com for more information. Thank you again, and may the Lord Jesus bless you today and always.